Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Oh, come on. Both of you sucked before she whipped you into shit. A whip? Is that what that was? All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. Let's do this. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is our review of Bring It On, starring Kirsten Dunst, Eliza Dushku, Gabrielle Union, Claire Kramer, and Jesse Bradford. Directed by Peyton Reed, released in 2000 on a budget of $28 million, grossed over $90 million in its run, and it's considered a cult classic, especially among cheerleaders. Now, you may be asking yourself, God, really, why this movie? I mean, look, here at Filmstrip, we hit it all. Horror, comedy, action, sci-fi, romance, good, bad, and even worse from time to time. <laughs> this one actually ties in with our Buffy podcast, though, The Art of Slaying. Yes, as a matter of fact, it ties in quite nicely as we transition from season four to season five in our Buffy podcast because it carries over Eliza Dushku, who plays Missy, and Claire Kramer, who plays Courtney in this episode. And so we thought it's a good time to do this movie because Eliza Dushku is coming off of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Claire Kramer is about to come on. So that's why we chose this movie. No other reason other than that. I, oh, for one, have yes, never seen this Yes, there is another reason. This movie is freaking awesome. And I've been telling you about it forever. And how long have you owned the disc and hadn't watched it? Actually, I bought the disc for season three because we had planned to do it for that and never did. So, yeah, I haven't had it that long. Maybe. Well, no, I've been I've been talking about doing this one in some form. And I, we teased it out there that we were going to do it with season three. And we just, like I said, with schedules and stuff, we just didn't get around to it. But we said, you know, we got to do something. We got to do an extra for season four and... At this point in the Buffy world, the movies that these people are in take a real nosedive. I mean, they don't really do good <laughs> stuff. I mean, Cruel Intentions is an obvious one, but that actually happened before Buffy really became a hit. So I that one's almost its own thing, like maybe another day, because there's a sequel to that and some other stuff. I, we were trying to find a good standalone, and I said, look, this this is the bridge. You know, it's, it's Eliza Dushku going off the show, and it's... Claire Kramer coming on, and it was in 1999-2000. It was in the season three, season four swing, you know, so I I kind of like it. I, I, I mean, I saw this movie when it came out with a group of my friends. I was actually out of college. I was in graduate school, but I saw a lot of friends that were in college, and I went and saw this, and I thought, this is hilarious, because I had friends, close friends that were cheerleaders, and even, you know, guy cheerleaders in college and stuff, and I totally got the humor of it, and I have... I've owned this on VHS and now DVD, and I mean, I've, I've seen this movie in a lot of forms. It used to be on USA like every other weekend, and I have seen it a lot, and it, it was just a good excuse to do the thing. I mean, I think a lot of times when we get to do comedy here, it, it, we're usually doing it because it's so bad it's good. Well, it's finally nice to do one that's actually just good in its own right. Yeah, this is the first time I've actually seen this movie. Uh, I've heard about it a lot, but it never really appealed to me, the whole idea of it. So I never bothered to actually watch it. But, you know, I figured I'd take one for the team, and you keep giving it a thumbs up, so why not? Anyway, Jay, before we get too much into this, why don't you go ahead and give us a plot summary of what this movie is really about? Okay, I'm going to summarize up real quick, all right? <laughs> Hot cheerleaders and hotter cheerleaders and ESPN. That's about, <laughs> about says it all. 
In all seriousness, though, the Toros cheerleading squad of Rancho Carne High School in California has got spirit, spunk, sass, and a killer routine that's sure to land them another national championship. It would be their sixth in a row. But when newcomer Missy, played by Liza Dushku, shows newly elected team captain Torrance, played by Kirsten Dunst, that their perfectly choreographed routines were actually stolen from the East Compton Clovers, the Toros scramble to come up with a routine. With the help of Torrance's college boyfriend, he used to be a cheerleader, the Toros get a new routine choreographed for them by a famous man named Sparky Palastri. I love these names. The Clovers, led by the squad captain Isis, Gabriel Union, are having difficulty coming up with enough money to cover their travel expenses to the championship, even though they know their cheers are getting ripped off and they're ready to bring it and represent. Torrance wanting to face the only the best competition gets her dad's company to sponsor the Clovers, but Isis refuses to take the money and with the help of a television show, kind of like Oprah, the Clovers are in the competition. Sadly for the Toros, they learned that their new routine has been given out to a number of other squads. And since they are returning champions, they're allowed to continue, but now they must come up with another new routine before Nationals. At the National Competition, the East Compton Clovers and the uh, Rancho Carne Toros go head-to-head, but in the end, the Clovers prove that indeed they are the better team. Torrance accepts her team's fate like a true champion and congratulates Isis and the Clovers on a on a well-earned victory, and we get a big dance montage at the end. And along the way, Torrance and this Missy's brother Cliff also kind of hook up and do this whole romance thing. But we'll get there. But that's pretty much it, right, Brian? I mean, that's the whole movie. It's pretty simple. It's the point of the movie, anyway. It's the hits on the major parts of what this movie was about. And it was very simple, basically. And what what I did like about this movie is that, in the end, the team that you thought would win didn't actually win. I well, that yeah, cool. it's the... And nowadays, that seems like a trite or a trope. You know, but I want to remind everybody, this movie came out in 2000. It was made in 99. This kind of started that trope in a lot of ways. And even though you may want to dismiss this as a dumb cheerleader movie, which is what I said when I was drugged to see it with people, there's a lot more to this. I think this film really plays well and lasts because the teenagers in it do act like teenagers. And I mean legit teenagers. They're not played too dumb. They're not played too smart. They're played like teenagers. Even though none of these people look like teenagers. They all look like they're 28. But... They, they probably all are 20. They probably all were. You're right. <laughs> but they they play it well. And I I got to say, you know, I you and I have enamored or have been enamored with Eliza Dushku since she walked on the Buffy show and loved almost everything she's done. But seeing her in a different context as still kind of the tough girl or, you know, whatever, but also getting to play I guess more normal and not homicidal is is a different twist. <laughs> I mean, kind it, of, it, kind of yeah, normal and not that. homicidal. So. I mean, she has her quirks. She's still kind of a badass in this this film, and she portrays herself as that kind of a badass person. But yeah, I agree. Playing something normal for once, you know, we uh, you you mentioned that we're big fans of what she's done, and, and I'd like to preface that by saying big fans of what she's done. On television, good, good point. Yeah, well, on the <laughs> Buffy show, Buffy. let's let's we, even we, we make got that the more Buffy specific. and the Dollhouse was pretty good, and, you know, things like that. But she's done yeah. some pretty strange movies in the past. This is one of her normal yeah. ones, which is which is you know good. And yeah, she's kind of like the the second star to well, I guess the third star, but the second star to Kirsten Dunst in this, and does a good job. 
Yeah, and I, I would I would say, I mean, it's a good point to say that she would have only been known for having done Buffy at this point. I mean, nobody would know her from anything else. That's why she's in this movie. Right. They even have that little line later on about let's beat up the well, two Buffy. Well, people know, would so. know her from probably from Picket Fences, the TV show, when she yeah, was Yeah, really I guess, little. see, I didn't watch that show, so I guess, yeah, I never think about her. And maybe the daughter from True Lies, if you can remember her, that she was in that, but. Oh, yeah, that exactly. like a long yep. time ago. That was yeah. eight years before this, so I mean, it's. Yeah, but she was really little. Yeah, I mean, it said, well, she was she was preteen, I guess, or maybe thirteen or something. She's much younger than she is now in this show, and 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 Kirsten Dunst had been around for a while too. She'd done a lot of the teen comedies, and that was in kind of her swing of this. Matter of fact, this is kind of the ending part of that for her before she got to doing. I mean, you talk about a woman who's done some weird roles. She's taken some really strange things, but done well with them. I'll say, Kirsten Dunst is one of those actresses that I don't often think of when I'm throwing out names of actresses I like to watch, but I she's everything I've seen her in, I've liked. Sometimes even when she's not the star, I just think she can play these really broad roles, and she gets to play some different stuff here. I mean, I, I remember her back from Small Soldiers, man, so I've been watching Kirsten Dunst for a long time. <laughs> And Jesse Bradford, I've watched since. I mean, I, he's been a kid that grew up in front of me too. He was in. A, he's in a great Harrison Ford movie I love called Presumed Innocent, and he's been in a couple other things. And I had seen him in some other stuff before this. I think he was in a one of the Disney Back to the Future kind of ripoffs or something where he had a watch that let him time travel. And I'd seen him in some other stuff, but I liked him in this too. I thought when I saw this. I mean, I I was like, yeah, I want to be Cliff because I was a guitar player and I was in a band at the time, and that's I would make songs for girls to try to get their attention, though never as cool. And I would listen <laughs> to music that was as cool as him, maybe. But I I liked, I related to it. I bought it, and everybody else here too, like all the different characters. There's a you can find a relation to them either not only in pop culture but in your own life. I mean, all of us knew the tough girl or the tough school that like the clovers you know which i mean you automatically said i'm in east compton this is post boys in the hood everybody knows what that is you know, yeah, like, oh yeah. those are the kids from the hard so i mean real hard and you've got a couple of you know they, they act real tough and girls though that are trying to rise up out of that and i think that's what gabrielle union plays really well i mean i, I dug it i thought it was fun and you've yeah. got the caddy cast of cheerleaders to go along with all of them you got to think back too. This is the time when you had a lot of these high school movies. You know things like uh, uh, "She's All That" and "American uh, Pie." American yeah. Pie. Yep. You. You mean all these these uh, teen comedies were coming out, and the one thing that you can say about this time frame, this nineteen ninety eight ninety nine, uh, "Can't Hardly Wait" is in there as well. You know, all those movies hit a chord because. The actors played the teen role so well that you, as a teenager or a high school student, related very well to that that situation. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. I mean, I was just in my senior year of college when, when this came out, when American Pie and Not came out. And I watched those movies, and I, I related almost to every situation. I could think of a, a memory from high school that matched that more so not much with the American Pie thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was going to say, that may be another conversation we need to have. So. But as far as, you know, some of this, this the interactions between the, the different students, uh, you had the cheerleaders who are very cocky and arrogant, and everything was about them. You get that with Whitney and Courtney, of course, and of course, Big Red. And you had the, the, the cheerleader like uh, Torrance, who was just trying to get ahead and do it the right way, and was conflicted when she found out that she 
was stealing routines this whole time, right? And so I related very well to these characters, and that's what I liked about this movie, and that's what I liked about the genre at the time, was because you related so well to the characters. You know, you make a point about those teen comedies, and that they all came out when we were graduating from college, basically, but they were all made where it could have happened the four or five years previous when we were still in high school. Like, mm-hmm. you felt like you could relate to it. Very much like the Brat Pack era 80s films and, like, yeah. my brother's generation really related to. Because even though they were a little bit older than what that, that was, they, they could relate to, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going through. Or I, and then they go through it a couple of years later. And I think that this whole swing of them, uh, swing of teen comedies, and you named, you know, three or four, they're really strong ones. Can't Hardly Wait, She's All That, uh, American Pie, and this, probably are the four best ones out of that swing of them and it's because they struck a chord with a generation of people who had been out of high school long enough to look back at that point to be somewhat fond of it like not to want to be there but to at least be able to laugh at the stuff that we did and what we saw and you know our fashion sense and all that stuff and let's face it i mean these are beautiful people in southern california you know, that has been a trope to throw up to teenagers forever, for years. You know, Beverly Hills 90210, probably one of the more famous uh, shows to, to idolize that culture for a couple of generations now. And I, that's what these people are. Even the East Compton Clovers is still, it's not the Compton from Boys in the Hood, I'll tell you that. I mean, that's, yeah, the they look like a from, bad, uh... I mean, the only difference in that part of town in Rancho Carne is that part is shot at night. <laughs> really, yeah, and the, yeah gym, no. the gym's a little darker, and there's but, more ethnicity. That's all but I like, it is. I like that they brought the the rough life of the Compton area into it when they were talking about how most you know they don't have the money to get to these competitions, and most of them don't have the lifespan to make it to a competition like right, well, this. Well, bad, and they, they don't really, have daddy to run to. And yeah, yeah, they they yeah. really brought that that differences between the Rancho Chero school and the uh, Rancho Carnell school and the uh, the East Compton school right out in front of you. And I thought that was kind of cool um, to, to give the difference between the two and how they were basically doing cheerleading, not only because they liked to do cheerleading, but because it kept them out of trouble. You know, it kept well, them yeah. away from violence. Yeah, that's a good point, Brad. And this is something I'll say that is one of the understated parts of this. And people now look back and go, oh, this is just glossed over, you know. But no, I know kids that came from tougher schools or whatever, and they got out of that situation by adopting the attitude that Isis and some of her teammates have here. Is they're like, no, we may be in the ghetto, but we're not going to act like we're in the ghetto. We're going we're gonna to be better than these people. We're not going to beat them up. We're not going to steal their stuff. We're going to show them we're better. We're going to get ourselves to a point where we can make something out of ourselves. And I like the fact that they, they didn't play them as the stereotypical thug, which is what you would expect when you hear this, right? But they play them well, as tough with, kids who yeah. grew up in tough times, but were making wise decisions about their future. Well, especially with the with the two um, sidekicks of ISIS, I think they were um, Lava and, and Janelope. They were kind of the, the badass girls of the squad, and they kind of were like in the face and ready to fight if they had to. So you know, they were playing that up pretty hard. But I like that they had Isis as a captain who was kind of calming him down. You know, it was a good mix of it, and it was a good interaction between them all. And what I really thought was kind of cool was that uh, you know Eliza Dushku's character Missy had experience in that area, so she knew what it was like. She was willing to take uh, Torrance to it and see it all together. 
to prove that yeah, I mean, it was stolen and and all that other stuff. Yeah, her high school in L.A. used to play them all the time, she said. So she had seen yep. the East Compton Clovers. I mean, she would know them. And, and yeah, that whole bit was cool. That gives you the idea that Missy may be this little rich girl or whatever, but she is not afraid to hang out in a, a different part of town or be around that element. And she's definitely a lot tougher than the kids in Rancho Carney. <laughs> You know, yeah. who are about as white bread and and got it made as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it's funny though, but that it's all played for laughs. And the thing is that makes this movie work for me, Brian, is they do talk about all this stuff. And look, they talk about a lot of stuff. They talk about you know guys' sexuality and guy cheerleaders and the stereotypes there. They deal with all that stuff and this whole idea of growing up and the jerk boyfriend versus the good guy who's a little different and what they play all that stuff on a really high adult level and it's played very real and I think that's what makes this thing last is beyond all the funny stuff and the cool stuff with all the cheerleading dances and all and the you know that era of music that's just that little pocket of weird <laughs> music that's this, well, this it was, film it was it, pop they, alternative music right yeah there's that little pocket of that stuff all of those little cultural markers you have these time-honored coming of age traditions playing out in front of you and they're played really well yeah i agree and i like the whole idea that they did here you know they played on the on the on the all these stereotypes what's the biggest stereotype for someone who's dating a guy who's a year ahead of them they go off to college and yep. then you lose touch and and you can't get a hold of him and he's cheating on you right and... now let's talk about aaron there for me the way that he played the character i could have swore he was gay <laughs> and then they end up I, having him sleeping with all these different girls. I'm just like, oh my. Totally threw me for a loop there. I could have sworn he was going to be the gay and one. I think that's because they're playing that to play against the type. Is You would assume that, but I, he's not. You know, he's that's just him. He's just effeminate. And he's just, that's the, the personality. And he uses that as a way to get to girls. Let's talk about this, too. This was an era of, you know, the teen comedy pop culture where it was the super sensitive sweet guy that seemed to get the girls on TV and in movies, right? That that started some of this. So this is that time period, too. That's another reason he's there. Yeah. And it's an ongoing thing. But you're right. He plays the... Yeah, Ter Torrance keeps trying to get a hold of him. She can't, and it's because he's basically hanging with other girls and getting his uh, groove on instead of doing his work. When she finally does get a hold of him, he's basically too drunk to understand what's going on and, and just gives her some really, turns out, crappy advice to go talk to this uh, this um, choreographer. Yeah, we got to talk about that <laughs> dude in a minute. And, and, then, well, and even then, after that, he sides with Courtney and, uh, what's her name? Uh, Whitney. Courtney and Whitney to let them take over. And, baby, you're just not a leader, but that's okay. Like, he has no faith in her at all. Yeah. And it's only when Torrance comes around and realizes, you know what? Screw all of you, that she starts taking control. Yeah, I agree, and it, it's an interesting little conflict there too. But you get this the the typical uh, stereotype of the guy who goes off to college and and she has no clue what he's doing, so he just does it anyway. But then realizes that he wants to still be in the relationship and tries to keep her there and thinks that he can. It's just yeah. an interesting. 
it's well, a side story, right? And she's conflicted, yeah. obviously, because she's starting to have feelings for Cliff, who's Missy's brother, and she doesn't know if she should, but she can't get a hold of her current boyfriend, so you got people telling her, just go for it, and she's like, I can't, blah, blah, blah. It's a well-played dynamic that happens every day in high school. Oh, exactly. I mean, we all knew people that dated that were in college, maybe starting college with us, that were still dating people in high school. And it's, you just see, you're like, man, this, how are you doing that? And it, if you, uh, the answer from all of them is, oh, I can make it work. I can make it work. And really what you're doing is you're too insecure with yourself to let that go and move on. And that's Aaron's thing is he has everything in a little box the way he likes it, but he can't see the reality for what it really is. And that Torrance is growing up, growing away and probably not a good mix for him anyway. Because he doesn't really know her, and he doesn't appreciate her, and I think it's only when she realizes that that she's comfortable with, you know, Cliff and all that stuff. But it's cool. I mean, the whole the whole setup here. Let's just. I think the 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 bit here is you put Torrance and Missy together, and the whole that all happens because Torrance is made captain, and one of the girls falls in a stunt and like breaks her arm and neck, and back, apparently really hurts herself. And they have to get a new cheerleader, so they do the tryouts. And I got to tell you, Brian, I crack up at this scene every time I watch it. The all the different people they run in there. You get the musical theater guy, and they're all like, "What are you <laughs> doing here?" And then you get the the girl that's crying because I just broke up with my boyfriend. And then you get the girl that's like super not excited, and do I have to wear underwear? And then you get the the really young girl that's like the younger sister of Whitney, I think, and she's. Yeah just kind of cute but she's playing it like the inside candidate you know like i got this thing i ain't got to really work for and this and she's terrible and she's terrible and then you get the really slutty girl that dances to cherry pie from warrant which i'm like that that song's about eight years older than all of you i don't know that you would know it but whatever you know that's more me and you but anyway <laughs> you have that going on and then you have missy walk in who's got look eliza dish who's got her hair like it's almost like faux dreadlocks she's the way she's right. got it done she's got this she scrawled a fake tattoo with a pen on her arm and she's just she's got a chain wallet i mean she looks like she's you know this badass biker chick and she comes in there and basically says i'm only here because your school doesn't have a gymnastics team how freaking hard can this be and when they test her, she turns out to be really awesome. But she takes convincing. And it's really Torrance and her brother's taunting that convince her to join the squad. And I, I like that. I like the fact, though, that we're set up with this the ultimate cheerleader girl with the ultimate not cheerleader girl. And those two have to be friends. I liked it, too. I thought it was a good dynamic. And I like that, uh, you know, she basically accepts the the invitation to finally come and do it and then her first practice she sees what they're doing and just says i'm done with this this is crap because she sees that they're doing the same routines that she's already seen a million times and nothing original like they said it was going to be and i like that she takes torrents to see that she's been doing copied routines all the time and just the dynamic that builds between them they become the the leaders whereas courtney and whitney are trying to be the leaders and then finally people start following at first they were they were leaning more towards courtney and whitney and as missy kind of helped torrance take over on things they finally fall in line and i like how they built that up i thought it was done very well 
It is, and that introduces Cliff as a part of all of that dynamic, too. Torrance is getting away from the old influences in her life. Aaron and Courtney and Whitney, and I guess Big Red to some extent, the former head cheerleader, who's kind of this crazy, evil queen bitch person. Big time, man. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that we know nothing about other than that. And the new influences in her life of Missy and Cliff, you know, and, and in some way the East Compton girls, too. You know, being exposed to that and seeing that and knowing that, like, gosh, we are frauds, you know, it breaks up her whole thing. And I love the fact that her parents are on her and everybody else is like, it's just cheerleading. And she constantly has to remind people, y'all don't understand. I am cheerleading. This is what I am. This is how I've built my entire identity to this point. And she takes it seriously. And I, I love that. I thought Kirsten Dunst played it so well. And it had such a fun art to follow because it is all about allowing more mature, better for you influences into your life. And that's who Missy and Cliff are. And Cliff is this cute new boy who listens to punk rock and he's different. And he, he totally, the other guys are like ripping on him and he's like, whatever, you know, and which I do love the fact that the two like jerk guys in the school are the football players that make fun of everybody. And like the football team sucks. I thought that was funny. That was yeah. a great storyline. I loved yeah. every time that the football team tried to lay an insult on. They're just like, when have you won a game? <laughs> When have you done exactly, anything? Like, dude, right? oh. look at the score. Exactly. <laughs> it's so well done. They're trying to rip the cheerleaders and the cheerleaders just like, seriously, dude, we have championships. What do you have? No wins. <laughs> Which is funny it's to great. think about. But you know what, Bron? I knew high schools like Absolutely. this where the cheerleading squad and the band were awesome and the football team sucked. But everybody got the football oh, yeah. team hung the moon. And that's the you know what though? That those are those cultures in high school. And you're in the band or you're in the cheerleading squad. You had your own little world outside of the jocks, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what this is. And Cliff is not any of it. He's so over high school. First off, he looks like he's 30. But the other side of it is he's <laughs> so beyond high school, he doesn't care. You can tell he could just breeze through senior year and does not care. And I like the confidence he has because that allows Torrance to feel okay to be confident in herself. Yeah, no, totally, and I agree. And the only reason he's there is really to support Missy and because you can see he's got a little bit of a thing for Torrance. So he does keep showing up. Otherwise, you assume he'd be sitting in his room playing his guitar all night. Right. Well, the the great scene there after the first game or whatever, uh, Torrance is staying over with Missy, and she goes to the bathroom, and like he comes in there, and they're both brushing their teeth, and it's like the brushing your teeth sex scene. Neither one of them want to stop; they're trying to outdo each other. And right. I, I've actually listened to the commentary on this before, and the director talks about specifically we wanted to have a love scene and it not be a love scene. <laughs> you know? nice. So we just yeah. we thought of the goofiest thing we could, and. That somewhere along the line, someone said they should just both brush their teeth for like five minutes and not say anything. Just look at each other. <laughs> and it's that whole bit of you're trying to impress somebody and you don't realize it and you get lost in it. Now, I thought that was cute. Yeah, I thought they did it very well, actually. You could tell that each of them kind of liked the other one. She kind of walks into his bedroom while he's jamming out on his guitar and just sits and watches him. And he has no clue. He's just having a good time playing his he guitar. He starts playing Foxy Lady or something like right, that when she walks in the room. It, it's, it, it, was, it was really well done. I, I thought, you know, 
it's cheesy in parts, sure, but I think that the dynamic worked well, and it's your typical high school infatuation right away, right? You you yeah. know you shouldn't like, but you're intrigued, and so you kind of sneak away from your friend to catch a glimpse of what your interest is doing. I thought they did a good job on it. And I love how Missy's the one that busts them both on this. At first, she's right. like, you're not into my brother, are you? And she's like, no, no way. And then at the car wash, he brings in his really dirty car, and he's standing there just watching all the girls, you know, in the <laughs> typical car. And then Missy walks right in front of him wearing that little strapless or, you know, spaghetti strap bikini. And he's like, oh, oh, put those away. You know, right. and Torrance walks up, and he's like, my brother's here to stare at your rack. You know, and he's like, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I kind of am. Because he's uh, the funny thing is, it's subtle, but he's staring at her chest when she says that. Right, right. He's like, no, I'm not. Oh, I yeah. am. I'm a teenage boy. I can't help it. <laughs> it's 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 fun. I, I like the whole dynamic that they had there with the three of them. I thought it worked very well. Like as, like I said before, and it, it was it was just. It was just fun to watch that whole thing go from her infatuation to his liking of her to the, the whole the whole song thing was interesting. Uh, yeah, that, we'll get to that in a second because before that, we've got to set up the big fall, right? And it's that Torrance has convinced everybody we can't do the East Compton cheers. We, we've mm-hmm. got to do something new. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So she finally gets up with her boyfriend, who, like you say, is so hungover he can barely talk to her. And he's like, oh, baby, it's cool. Call this guy. He's real reputable. Everybody knows him. Sparky Palastri, the choreographer, who comes in. I, Brian, what is this guy? This, it is so hilarious. This whole, like, four minutes he's there cutting them down and playing that awful techno song and, you know, spirit fingers. It was interesting. It reminds me of Dodgeball with Patches O'Houlihan <laughs> and the throwing yes. of the wrenches, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it reminded me of. And obviously I would assume that took this from, from this because it was obviously later. But that's what it reminded me of. I'm like, oh, this is another one of those Patches O'Houlihan things where he's going to just – tell him to shut up and listen to him and follow him and then yeah except that he's a fraud (laughs) right which is even better right he turns out that he's been selling this routine to everyone who would pay him right it was no it was no unique routine at all and i thought that was the best part is when they go to the what was it the semifinals or the the, the regionals they're in their regional regional competition and right before they go on the school before them are you ready to be dominated start doing the spirit finger same thing and then and then they have to go on and all the judges like did we not just see this Oh, the, the fact that they oh. like they all stop and there's just dead silence for a minute. Yeah. That is hilarious. But you know what? Think about this though. This is this is exactly what you, you get. These I don't know if you're watching it or not, Brian, but I get it invested in these awful reality shows that are just train wrecks. And one, my wife and I cannot get enough of is Dance Moms and just these people just freaking out over just these girls and these dance routines and the way that woman talks about some of the stuff she has these kids do is exactly like this guy it's like what he has them do has nothing to demonstrate their cheerleading skills it's all about this choreographed weird dances and these hand gestures and so i mean it's nothing like (laughs) what they can do and it's so preposterous but it's so hip and i I love that it's just that big dig and all that that that, no just do what you are I like that he got them to buy into it too and take it so seriously and 
The whole finger thing is just oh, don't just eat. Bizarre. Maybe your ass will eat some of itself or no, something it's, like that. Exactly. Oh my gosh! It was it don't was, smile. You know? It was so interesting and funny that I, I just love that scene and the habit. Cheerleaders are dancers who've gone retarded. I thought that was great. That cheerleaders are dancers who've gone retarded. <laughs> he just he just did small. And then the best thing though is their reaction at regionals. They're like. Oh crap! What are we going to do now? And they have no choice. They've yeah. got to go on with it. And the whole bit at the end, Big Red's there for whatever reason, the hanger owner to your high school glory, I guess. What are you doing? You've wrecked my squad. And you know, Aaron gets her away from Torrance, and that's when he lays the whole. Oh, baby, you should just step down as captain. It's okay. And then the the official guy's the one like, well, technically, what you did is not illegal. It's just frowned upon. But we hear this guy's you know done this up and down the West Coast and. That's when you realize Torrance is like, I am screwed because the people I trusted have screwed me. Mm, yeah. Both of them. And her boyfriend and her former captain, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, oh, it was. And she, I mean, she's blaming the irrational stuff. I dropped the spirit stick and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and Missy <laughs> is like, stick. girlfriend, you have got to just calm down, you know, but that's the <laughs> trouble she's got. And that's the deal. She, she run, goes home that night. Aaron drives her home, big kiss and stuff, and waiting at her door with flowers and his you know little mixtape song is Cliff. Poor old Cliff. I'm not going to tell you, man, I have actually been in that situation where I was supposed to go meet somebody and she forgot and rolled up with her old boyfriend that oh, they were supposed to not ouch. be together. I didn't have a mixtape, but I was like, this sucks. I was like, oh, I've been there. But once again, it's one of the the two new people that brings Torrance out of her funk. His little happy, goofy song gets her like cheering on her bed, basically. Right, and of course he's all bummed at this point because she's been he spotted her with her. I don't even know if he knew she had a boyfriend at the time. I don't think he even did. No, so no. Ha having that happen in front of him kind of spoils him on her, and he's really bummed about it. And so she's now realizing that she's falling for this guy and he's decided that he can't do anything about it because she's with someone else so real interesting dynamic again something that happens in real life a lot <laughs> exactly yeah so. that kind of thing happens and it's played really well too and i like how it's not he she just can't call him up the next day and he's like yeah fine he's like okay whatever and he just goes about his day like eh, i'm so done with high school anyway you know and moves on and she's but it's what he did there and that that really gets Torrance to go, you know what? I'm going to start standing up for myself. And the next day she's going to practice and Courtney and Whitney are basically there to throw her out, you know, as captain. And they start taking over and she's like, hold on just a second. Pump the brakes. And she takes over the group. Like for once takes a big yeah, she, stand. Exactly. She says that she can't, you can't replace her unless she steps down. And she says, I'm not stepping down. Puts those two in their place. Finally, which I might say, because uh, they were getting on my nerves, even. But uh, oh, I'm gonna tell you. But now, look, they were funny stereotypes. Claire Cl Kramer's the one oh, that played yeah. Courtney, and she's hilarious in this. She's they such were definitely a funny. Yeah, they did a good job at it, which is which is great. You, you want to be annoyed by them the whole time, and it was well done. Well, Brian, you know who she is. You mentioned can't hardly wait earlier. She's the girl at the party that wants to have sex with everyone, and like her and Seth Green are gonna hook up, and then she winds up getting back together with her boyfriend. <laughs> so that's where you've seen her before. And she, I think she later went on to be on Dawson's Creek. I think this is the first time I've actually seen her. I've seen Can't Hardly Wait, but it was so long ago. So I wouldn't even remember. I got it on DVD, though. 
anyway, the side point, it, the, she does put the two, you know, girls in their place and starts taking over. And that's when she starts whipping everybody in shape. We're going to come up with a routine. And they start doing things original for once. And she goes to her dad and she wants to get sponsorship for the Clovers and she gets it. And I got to tell you, I, this part it, at different times, I've been like, this is just ridiculous. But then, now I get it. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I like the fact that the Clovers are like, we don't need your charity. We got it worked out on our own. And they do get it worked out. I, I mm-hmm. thought that was cool. No, I thought that was great because you don't want them to just go in because they're being paid to go in. You wanted them to do it their, themselves. Because if they're not going to do it themselves, then what's the point of having them in the competition? And what's the point of having them in, eventually win? So I like that she was like, no, we don't want your pity. We don't want your money. We'll get in there. You'll see us. We'll find a way. And they did. And I thought it was a very well done thing. I, I would have probably been sad if they would have taken the money and actually gone that way. I think that would have been kind of cheap. Yeah, it would have been cheap. You're right. And the fact that they do wind up there at their own accord allows us to respect them as much as we respect Torrance and the Toros with the fact that they are going to go on their own, you know, with what they've come up with, win, lose, or draw. This is their best shot. And they go head-to-head. And i got to tell you, man, I'm no cheerleading coach or critic, but both of those routines are pretty awesome. I've watched some cheerleading competitions in my time, and they're always – Highly energetic, highly entertaining, and both of those groups did a fantastic job. The stunt doubles that are in there and everything, I mean, it looks really good at the national competition. Yeah, I don't know anything about that stuff. I've never seen a cheerleading thing, so I just enjoyed watching it as someone who's never seen anything like it before in my life. So Back when ESPN2 was new and they showed like old AWA wrestling and bad football, in between that, cheerleading competitions were on. And that's when I used to see that on. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, when you, cool. work at a t- when, you, when you work at a radio station and TV station, these are the things you see when you, you have downtime. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I like the whole national competition, though, in that – Cliff shows up at his own record to be there to support Missy and to support Torrance, and they, they had the big blowout, and like we said, the Clovers win, and Torrance takes it like a real champ. You know, they act excited about being in second place. It's like, by George, we earned this one. Well, of course, and, and, and yeah. it's cool because they finally done something on their own originally, and it got them second place. So that's got to feel pretty good that she was able to put together a – a winning routine that was only beat out by the best, right? Because they've been stealing right. from the best, so they know that their routines were normally the best. So they got beat by the best, and I, I like that they got beat. I, I like that the 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 hero team didn't actually win. I thought that was kind of a cool twist. Yeah, it is nice. It's the it's not what you expect, but it it is the right thing that happened, yeah. and that's what you want. And then you know the big end montage, the the great cheerleading song, Mickey. And everybody oh, kind of dancing God. for the camera and mugging and having a good time. That song will get in your head and make you want to commit crime, but it, it was fun. <laughs> it's a funny, it's a funny way to end this very funny, light touch kind of movie, which which will touch on some broader strokes and or some deeper stuff, but still handle it in a real, I guess I could say safe way, but in a way that's also very real and very challenging. You know, mm-hmm. th- there's nothing about this that feels fake, and I think that's the best compliment I can give the movie. 
Well, Brian, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to get final thoughts, popcorn ratings for the film. So what are yours for Bring It On? Well, Jay, as I said at the beginning, this is the first time I've actually seen this movie. And I, I think that your hype of it is, is good and spot on. I thought it was a fun movie to watch. It didn't make me cringe that I was watching this movie about cheerleading like I thought maybe it would. There was some great comedy in there. There was some great dialogue. And it it brings back some great memories of time in high school. You know, it's a lot of what you saw there is what really went on in high school. So I liked it. So for me, I'm going to give this a large popcorn. I thought it was good. I have praised this movie quite a bit. I think I made it pretty clear that I like this movie, have liked it for a long time, and will continue to like it for all the reasons you said and the things we've said in the last 40 minutes or so. This is just a fun movie, folks, and I recommend it. I think it's a good one to watch whenever you get a chance. It's not something you want to watch constantly, but you know, every once in a while it's good to go back to that swing of teen comedies from the very late 90s, the early 2000s, and there were some gems in there, and this is certainly one of them. So I'm going to join you in that large bucket of popcorn, my man. I think this is large popcorn and a very fun thing to see. So recommend and a large popcorn as well. Folks, thanks for joining us on this special edition of Film Strip, where we review Bring It On. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Got everything in there from Pretty Woman to Batman to Batman and Robin to Leprechaun 3. I mean, we got it all, folks. So, you know, <laughs> Dear Blair, Blair Witch Project. <laughs> As we said, we've kind of done it all. So check it out and let us know what you think. Hook up with us on our Facebook and Twitter accounts and leave us a review on iTunes. And uh, like I say, we love hearing from the fans. So until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Films. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17.